This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Yes, yes, yes. They were there. And I can never express enough how amazing I find the men and women who serve in our military and their families. Because I think one of the things we don't talk about enough is the cost to the family of people who are literally, you know, giving the United States government a blank check for their lives. And sometimes I read stories that upset me so much, I don't know how to even deal with them. But I have to share this story from uh, the USNI, which is an organization that represents United States Navy. And apparently, junior sailors on the USS George Washington endured some of the toughest living conditions in the entire military, according to a new Navy investigation. And since 2017, junior sailors who were assigned to that aircraft carrier were subjected to these tough living conditions, the toughest in the entire military. Now think about that. And over a six-year-long maintenance period at uh, Newport News Shipbuilding, they experienced poor living conditions, up to three-hour commutes and isolation from their families and peers as part of life in the shipyard. Complaints about the life as a George Washington sailor was were of course exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic and Navy leadership wouldn't respond at all. And when they were told that the quality of life was very difficult, they did nothing. And this is according to a, an investigation that was just released by the Navy and that's reviewed by the USNI News. Now look, that particular aircraft carrier is in the middle of a midlife overhaul. And so um, it was necessarily tied up at that shipyard. But did we necessarily have to have nine sailors dying by suicide during that period of time? That seems like an inordinate amount. And according to this investigation, it is an inordinate amount of young sailors taking their own lives. You know, one of the things we don't like to talk about is the very high suicide rate in the United States military. And we need to talk about it because we talk about everything else. We talk about things that are relatively insignificant and yet we are re reluctant to address the problems that we're having inside the military. That's why yesterday I talked about Congressman Mike Waltz's warrior bill, because I guess 
for someone like me who literally reveres the members of our armed forces to know that they get such a dispassionate review by government officials for the most part, not enough mil ex-military inside of the houses of, of Congress. Definitely, um, we have not seen enough executives, chief executives, who've ever even served in the military. And that's, that's important. We have, we've had chief executives who don't like the military, Bill Clinton being the most obvious, because he would say it out loud, Barack Obama being fairly obvious. You know, I was trying to remember, I guess the last member, or the last president was George W. Bush, who had ever served in the military. And that's, you know, not Trump, not Obama, and, and, and definitely not Biden, although he loves to talk about his son who served in the military, in particular his son who got thrown out of the military. But I, I just, I'm, I don't know how we fix this, but we better fix it because our enemies are busy building mighty, mighty militaries. China has got the largest and best equipped navy in the entire world now. And I have to read about a ship, an aircraft carrier that was tied up for years in getting refurbished and refueled and caused horrendous living conditions for the sailors, so much so that nine of them took their own lives. You know, not that uh, I'm, I'm guessing that sailors in the Chinese Navy, I don't think anybody worries about them either, but I, we're America. We're supposed to honor the men and women who serve in the military. We don't treat them like, you know, Kim Jong-un treats his military, making them march around like stupid wooden soldiers. Although at least they get fed. The rest of his people don't. I'm on a tear today. I'm just, I'm just terribly upset when I think about all the men and women in this country who sacrifice so very much and you know, and we won't even address a rather major recommendation being made by the Navy to improve the living condition of sailors. You know, nobody will talk about it. You will not hear it on another radio program. I'm not putting down all the other radio hosts, but it's just mind-boggling to me that they spend very little time, if any at all, talking about the unjust treatment of our active duty and, you know, and our retired military. They just, it's not a priority to them. And that, that grieves me. Which is, leads me to asking you to join the honor flight. Uh, welcome back, soldiers from the Korean War, the Vietnam War. Thank those veterans for their service. Operation Homecoming at PBI, the Palm Beach International Airport. The flight lands at 8.20 p.m. on Saturday. You got to get there early to get a good spot. There are going to be uh, a early morning escort for these guys by all the motorcycle riders. And uh, they're going to start, if you're a, a rider and you want to be part of the Honor Flight motorcycle uh, escort, 
You can contact the ride captain, who's Dale Shearer, at daleagain at gmail.com. That's daleagain at gmail.com. They'll be meeting at the VA clinic on Linton Boulevard in Delray. And then when you get to PBI, if you're just going to be there to welcome them home, you are uh, you can go upstairs to, well, you know, you can go there and send them off as well. How about that? But either way, you really, you really have to do something. We all have to do something. I've been to these honor flight um, welcome homes numerous times, taken my grandson, taken, you know, anybody who'll go. Because we have a very uh, short memory. And we forget these heroes all together too many times. In particular, those Vietnam veterans who came home and didn't have a chance to be welcomed back. So here's your chance to try and make that a little bit right. It's really the least we can do, in my opinion. Anyway, don't forget to check out the app, the 850WFTL app, or go to our website, 850WFTL.com, to participate in all of these cool contests that we have. And also you can get breaking news, you can listen to the podcasts, you can do so many things. Let me take a quick break and and wet my whistle so I can stop choking and I'll be right back. You know, over the years I have made note of the lack of, of, it's not even just national pride, but the lack of understanding about this country. Do you know fewer than half of Americans can name all three branches of government? About a quarter of Americans who were surveyed recently can't name a single branch. If the Constitution is the bedrock of America, that which stands between the government and the establishment of some authoritarian regime, then shouldn't we know it? It exists to limit and constrain the power of the federal government, and it's supposed to grant you and me, the American citizen, unalienable rights, individual liberties, and literally establish we the people. We're supposed to be the masters. And those in government are supposed to be the servants. I don't know about the rest of you, but I get the idea we have lost sight of that. But, you know, in order for that to be true, you have to have an enlightened citizenry. You have to have a citizenry that could name all three branches of government. And, and you also have to have a citizenry that literally will participate in this republic. The system won't function if the American citizen doesn't live up to their responsibility to self-govern. And that's the root cause of, of the, the steady and increasingly rapid lurch. I call it the slouching, forget about it, towards Gomorrah. We're bobsledding towards tyranny. If, you, if the American people no longer read the Constitution or don't understand the Constitution or care about the Constitution, then all the guardrails that the Founding Fathers put in place to prevent tyranny, you know, the, the idea that we wouldn't have citizens reduced to slaves, well, if you don't understand the Constitution and you are not willing to fight for it, then you're going to lose that. We're living in a post-constitutional America right now. 
Mark Levin says that all the time. Americans, they permitted the government, we, you and me, permitted the government to seize our liberties, particularly during COVID. And the only way, and, and, and we were just lazy. You know, it's a total dereliction of duty. And I'm not afraid to say that. It's also ignorance. I talk to people all the time and they say the most inane things. You know, uh, just recently I got into a discussion with somebody about the separation of church and state. They were totally incorrect, did not understand the concept at all, and had been like sort of, their minds had been turned into some sort of liberal mush. And they didn't want to hear it either. If we don't go back to some sort of constitutional uh, competency, I mean, that's the only way I can describe it, then we can't save this republic. You're going to have to read the Constitution. You're going to have to study and understand the Constitution. If you're not willing to do that, then stop complaining and accept your, your slave future. Because if you're not going to accept the role of a guardian of America by embracing the Constitution, then you'll die by abandoning it. Because the beauty of the Constitution, it's, it's written in plain ink. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand it. America is either a nation of laws or it isn't. And the chaos that we're experiencing in America is a direct consequence of our failure to accept that being an American is more than a privilege. It comes with immense responsibility. The war for our independence didn't end when we defeated the British. That's actually when it began. And I have been reading and rereading the Constitution my entire adult life, from the time I entered high school, even before my adult life, until yesterday. I break out that book to make sure I understand what my responsibilities are. Because this is a government by the people. It's not a government for the people. This is a government that's supposed to be responsive to our needs, responsive to our wishes. And I look at what goes on and I'm just, I'm mystified. Where, where did we go so so wrong? You know, when did we give up? Uh, you know, I'm looking at all the Supreme Court opinions that came down in the last uh, 48 hours, and there have been a number of them. And you guys know that, again, the Constitution clearly delineates what the role of the Supreme Court is, what the judiciary ro role is, whether it's appellate courts, federal courts, or, or the Supreme Court. It is to correctly interpret the law and its constitutionality. Not how's it going, not how I'd like to see it changed, but how does it line up? But if you never read the Constitution or you never understand the Constitution, how would you understand why? I can imagine why you don't read Supreme Court opinions. They're a little heavier, although they're also written in ink. And a friend sent me a, um, a little snippet from the Gorsuch decision 
which I thought was brilliant. You know, I, I read all the decisions. I'm not that happy about the decision about social media platforms, but I have not read the whole thing yet. I just think it was a mistake, but you know, listen, I don't always agree. But the, um, the Gorsuch decision where he talks about the tyranny of the existing governor was amazing. He said, and I quote, since March of 2020, we may have experienced the greatest intrusions on civil liberties in the peacetime history of this country. Executive officials across the country issued emergency decrees on a breathtaking scale. Governors and local leaders imposed lockdown orders, forcing people to remain in their homes. They shuttered businesses and schools, public and private. They closed churches, even as they allowed casinos and other favored businesses to carry on. They threatened violators, not just with civil penalties, but with criminal sanctions too. They surveilled church parking lots, recorded license plates, and issued notices warning that attendance at even outdoor services satisfying all state social distancing and hygiene requirements could amount to criminal conduct. They divided cities and neighborhoods into color-coded zones, forced individuals to fight for their freedom to, in courts, on emergency timetables, and then changed their color-coded schemes when defeat in court seemed imminent. And he's talking directly about Cuomo. You know, the, um, the suit that was brought against um, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York was all a part of a concerted effort on his part to shut down the Orthodox Jewish communities. You know, these orange and red zones and all this other stuff. This is tyranny. It really is. And the fact that we gave in so easily is really distressing. You know, the pandemic showed, um, showed me without any question that we were not willing to fight for freedom, that we're just a, a, a lazy, uninformed American people for the most part who allowed these tyrannical leaders because of fear. This is all about fear. But remember, you know, fear is a very strong emotion. But if you allow fear to impinge on doing what's right, you don't deserve freedom. And that's why I say, if you're not going to read the Constitution, then I don't know if you're really in any position to participate in this governing. This, of course, was all about Title 42. And, you know, the, the Supreme Court said the uh, state of emergency is over, so they didn't want to hear this complicated lawsuit. Um, they said it was moot, and, and they're right. But the story is that Justice Gorsuch used it as an opportunity in that in an eight-page statement to tell the truth about what just happened and how if we're not willing to fight, we'll lose it. We'll lose this country. It was passionate. It was an eloquent critique of government overreach during the pandemic. Just in the first four pages 
Gorsuch described the Title 42 issues, which were just a warm-up exercise for his real theme, which began by accurately describing the tyrannical excesses of out-of-control local and state executives during the pandemic. Think Gavin Newsom. Think Cuomo. You know, think these mayors. Uh, think, uh, what was her name in Michigan? Gretchen Whitmer. Think about what these people uh, took upon themselves to do in state governments, in local governments. He also mentioned the other two, you know, so uh, it wasn't just officials with the emergency decrees, but he also mentioned the other two branches, which were guilty, not so much by, by, by what they did, but because of what they didn't do. The executive officials were issuing all these new emergency decrees at a furious pace. State legislatures and Congress, the bodies that normally are responsible for adopting laws, didn't say a word. Courts that are supposed to protect our liberties, well, they addressed a few, but hardly all of them. All the intrusions that were placed upon us, Gorsuch wrapped it up. He said, it's not, it is hard not to wonder whether state legislatures might profitably re-examine the proper scope of emergency executive powers at the state level. Make no mistake, he said, decisive executive action is sometimes necessary and appropriate. But if emergency decrees promise to solve some problems, they threaten to generate others. And rule by indefinite emergency edict risks leaving all of us with a shell of a democracy and civil liberties just as hollow. And he's right. You know, I've been uh, reading Kaylee McEnany's uh, book, Serenity in the Storm, and she talks about um, what went on during the pandemic. And she was there, front row and center, press secretary for Donald Trump. And she talked about how you know, they could not understand how you could possibly carve out casinos and, and Walmart and then say that churches were non-essential and couldn't be opened until finally the president reversed that. But how is it that, that there were so few pastors, and thank God I married one who was willing to stand up, but there were so few pastors who were willing to say, wait, wait a minute, we have an absolute right to be open if Walmart can be open, if, uh, you know, Harris can be open. We're actually more essential than gambling houses or liquor stores. So, you know, I'm grateful. Gorsuch didn't scold Americans if he scolded anyone, which is debatable. He scolded politicians, particularly in the executive branch. Yeah, listen, and, and when I think about the things that we tolerate and that we allowed to happen, it's mind-boggling. Anyway, let me take a break. I'm checking out to see if I can get Derek on today to do something a little lighter. We'll do a little TMZ if possible, but I don't, I'm not quite sure yet. Let me take a quick break, make a few phone calls. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
So if I'm going to talk about these Supreme Court decisions, I probably should talk about them, right? But the uh, Supreme Court sided with Twitter and Facebook and Google in a pair of decisions yesterday that uh, that say that the Silicon Valley oligarchs are still going to be shielded from liability for any content that's posted by users. Now, these were lawsuits that were actually brought by families, victims' families, that allowed all this Islamic terrorist stuff to go on on these various websites, videos of you know, pro-Islamic uh, terrorism, and of course, big tech, and, and people like me who are for freedom, you know, we were a little concerned. If you eviscerate Section 230, which is what we're talking about, the Federal Communications Decency Act of 1996, and it generally prevents internet platforms and internet service provi providers from being held liable for what users say on them. And the this is a legal provision that's, I've heard it referred to as the 26 words that created the internet. And of course, as a direct result of them not being held liable, you've had free speech flourishing on these platforms, as long as it's not conservative. <laughs> so I looked at these cases and I thought, well, it'll be interesting just how they come down on it, because both President Donald Trump and Joe Biden attacked Section 230, and they said it should be repealed. But in the twin rulings, the Supreme Court said, oh, we're not gonna deal with this. And so the tech companies are ecstatic. During the oral arguments back in February, the justices struggled over the extent to which you could hold them liable just because terrorist groups use the platforms to promote their cause. Chief Justice John Roberts said that despite any algorithm YouTube may use to push users to view videos, the company is still not responsible for the content of the videos or the text that's transmitted. Justice uh, Kagan told a lawyer for one of the families, I can't imagine a world where you're right that none of this stuff gets protection. And you know, every other industry has to internalize the cost of its conduct. Why is it that the tech industry gets a pass? It's a little bit unclear. On the other hand, I mean, we're a court. We really don't know about these things. You know, these are not like the nine greatest experts on the internet, Kagan said at the time. Now, that's an honest perspective. The Supreme Court's new 38-page decision in Twitter versus Tomna was written by Justice Clarence Thomas. And I read it. And what the court was being asked was to review a lower court ruling in favor of a Jordanian national that was killed in an ISIS terrorist attack in an Istanbul nightclub. We all remember the attack. The company argued it shouldn't be held responsible for acts of international terrorism if the group used its platform. The family of the victim, Narwas Al-Asaf, claimed that social media platforms didn't do enough to take down ISIS videos. Justice Thomas wrote that the plaintiffs sought to hold Twitter, Facebook, and Google liable for the terrorist attack that allegedly injured them, but the court concluded that the plaintiff's allegations are insufficient to establish that these defendants aided and abetted ISIS in carrying out the relevant attack. The connection between the online platforms and the nightclub attack were far removed, he wrote. And, and see, 
that's where the brilliance of picking Supreme Court justices that are not political animals, but are rather constitutional experts, this is where it matters. Because I'm sure that in his heart of heart, Justice Thomas is pretty sick of some of the sick stuff that we are all subjected to and our children and grandchildren are subjected to on these platforms. You know, the idea that you'd have all this body shaming that goes on on Instagram and has caused so much uh, misery in teenage girls, you know. Uh, there's not any of us who wouldn't say this is problematic, right? But at some point, you've got to draw the line and realize that uh, that we can't control all the outcomes, regardless of how we regulate these platforms. And I think that's what the opinions all said. There was a, a, a much shorter opinion that was issued in Gonzalez versus uh, Google. And it wasn't even signed. It, you know, it's just a brief um, decision. It wasn't signed by Thomas or anybody. And that was a case that goes back to 2015 when a student, Nahomi Gonzalez, 23, a U.S. citizen, was killed in an ISIS attack in Paris. And the killing was part of a larger series of attacks that the terrorist group carried out in that city that led to 129 deaths. Her family sued and claimed that Google, which is the owner of YouTube, or a whatever they're called, Alphabet, was liable under the Federal Anti-Terrorism Act for aiding ISIS recruitment efforts by allegedly using algorithms to steer users to ISIS videos. And again, I have to agree with uh, Elena Kagan. What kind of algorithm are we talking about? Are we talking about an algorithm that um, tries to match up interests with content? Because that happens 24-7. You log on to your computer, and whatever it was that you were looking at yesterday, whether it was you know uh, trying to, to find a, uh, a new doghouse, whatever, you'll immediately, when you log on, see you're being pushed to doghouses. You know, that's a kind of a silly example, but in my case, because I use Chewy to buy my cat food, sometimes after an order is either shipped or, or you know, on auto ship or whatever, for the next like 48 hours, I'll receive like all these competing firms, Pet Supermarket and Petco, all of these competing firms. Well, we've got that same product less, at less cost. And I think to myself, you know, I tripped the algorithm. I don't, you know, I, I don't know how. What did I do? I went on a website and I ordered something. But that's why I say, so how do you know what the algorithm-based recommendations are? And how is it that users are able to locate other videos or accounts related to something like terrorism or something like cat food? Google services played a uniquely essential role, the uh, suit said, in the development of ISIS's image, its success in recruiting members from around the world, and its ability to carry out attacks. The original complaint filed in the case added that Google officials are, were well aware that the company's services were assisting ISIS. You know, and this is fascinating, because I remember when Zuckerberg sat there in a congressional hearing 
and said, um, no, Instagram is not responsible for, you know, the, the uh, increased in depressed teenage girls. And meanwhile, uh, just shortly after that, internal memos were discovered or leaked that said they had done studies and that they understood that this whole body shaming that goes on on Instagram and this whole uh, appearances of, of what they consider uh, perfect body types, that it leads young girls to terrible conclusions and often to uh, depression and even suicide. So you know, they can all pretend that they don't know what they're what's going on, but they all know what's going on. I just don't know how you control it. Countless companies, countless content creators, countless organizations who joined in that case, you know, they just got to stay on it. They want to safeguard free expression, but they also want to combat harmful content. Good luck. That's beyond my pay grade. Anyway, Derek's going to join us after this next break. I want to remind you at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino comes your way. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro. At 6 o'clock, uh, 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh. 6 o'clock, the WPTV News. And then, and then it's the weekend. Yeah, I can't wait. So for now, I got one segment left with my son Derek at TMZ. Stay right where you are. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood. It's only the Kaufman family can bring it. My son, Derek, I don't even know if comparing you to the New York Times is fun anymore because they're just so awful. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> We're you better. Know. You only need to read one website, pick TMZ. That's it. If you're only going to read one. And I I'll tell you, I'd rather talk about some of the things that you guys uh, you know, cover on your website than the same boring stuff over and over again that supposedly passes for news. I mean, it's also biased and slanted no matter where you turn. It's more fun to talk about, for instance, you know, Johnny Depp. Yeah, and uh, back in the news, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we were all wondering what's going to happen to Johnny Depp in the wake of this trial, which he won against Amber Heard. He proved to a civil jury that she had defamed him. Uh, wins that big verdict, but everyone thought, you know, is this guy now untouchable? Can he ever be in Hollywood again? And he got a seven-minute standing ovation in Cannes, which is a pretty good sign for him. He's in this new movie where he plays King Louis the Fifteenth. It's called Jean Dubarry. Now, this isn't a big Hollywood production. It's not Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not going to do those kind of numbers, but what an ovation. Uh, meanwhile, Amber Heard is Sort of just living life in Madrid, uh, nearby Cannes, I guess. It's um, <laughs> like not too far in Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and she seems to be happy, but she's certainly not acting uh, in Hollywood, not in any active sense, at least. Yeah, I can't see anybody using her, um, primarily because she did not come off sympathetically in this trial, and somehow he did. And when you looked at that, uh, at first he shows up late at Cannes, so you'd think there'd be a little bitterness, and in, in reality, they were just so excited to see him. I was kind of surprised. I was so surprised. You know, he's still adored. My, my sense after the trial was, you know, he's no longer at the peak of his fame. Some of the Tim Burton projects had been flailing for a little bit of time. You know, some were great. Obviously, he's a legend and had already cemented his status, but... 
I wasn't sure anyone would want to take a, a chance on him. Is he bankable still at this stage of his career? But this is a good sign, and apparently the performance is very good. No one's ever questioned whether he's a, a great actor. He really is. Um, it's just some of the off-camera eccentricities. I'm not sure that you know studios would want to take a chance on it, but you know indies do, and we'll see how this does. And if he gets a lot of buzz, I think you could see him you know, sliding right back into some big movie franchise. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's no doubt. I, I would even say that he will slide back into the big movie franchises that have been holding back, including Disney and, and you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff like that. Uh, you know, as long yeah, as the public you know, he's got a lot of baggage, him, but apparently uh, it's uh, not too heavy to carry. <laughs> so people are, are giving it a whirl, and the ovation, like I said, sort of speaks for itself. Yeah, and and you know that he was always one of my favorite actors. And while I was, uh, you know, distressed about some of these uh, allegations against him, you know, who doesn't have these allegations against them in this day and age? And it seems to not uh, have a lasting effect very often unless you get really caught like Harvey Weinstein and then you just go to jail. But that wasn't... Yeah, sometimes story. there's just like a volume of things that happen and that truly dooms you like with Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein. It becomes something you can't really look away from. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if there's one scandal rocking you and you fight it, uh, Johnny Depp is sort of showing that the backlash to sort of Me Too type movement and, and so forth, uh, he reckoned with it and he fought it and he seems to be rebounding pretty nicely. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of other stuff that's going on that I think is pretty interesting. Like, you know, Rihanna, who keeps breaking all the norms, posted a bunch of photographs that I saw this week. I know you guys have them on your website. Um, she's, again, very, very with child, very pregnant, and she's got topless photos on, on the Internet. Yeah. It's sort of a page out of Beyonce's handbook when, when she was pregnant with the twins years ago would do these, you know, glamorous photo shoots. And Rihanna is, you know, she's stunning. She's glowing. She's very, very pregnant. She's excited about, uh, you know, having her second child with ASAP Rocky. And, you know, she's flaunting it. These Look, these are the types of pictures that sort of break the Internet. We've seen them before, but Rihanna's always going to make headlines, even when she's fully clothed. So mm-hmm. when she's naked, cupping her breast, it's going gonna, it's gonna to definitely make it onto our website. Yeah, made it onto all, you know, to the Internet, and it, these are the photos that break the Internet. Sad news, though, about Jimmy Buffett. What happened? He had a, he had a withdraw from a concert? Yeah, you know, he canceled a concert in Charleston, and it's got people very, very concerned. He posted to his fans that I had to um, cancel this con- cancel this concert. He quoted Mark Twain with a quote that said, Challenges make life interesting. However, overcoming them is what makes life meaningful. And he said he was in Boston and uh, had to go for a checkup and is now in the hospital to, to address some issues that he says need, quote, immediate attention. So hmm. everyone's very, very concerned. It's a hopeful note that he wrote to people, uh, to his fans, that he'll be back out there. He wants to continue performing. But this is in the wake of canceling some 2022 performances last year. He's now hmm. 76 years old. He was hospitalized last September and canceled some shows. So that this to happen in quick succession maybe uh, is a sign of things not going too well. We certainly wish him the best. He's an absolute legend. I mean, yeah. you in Florida know that better than anyone else. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Lisa's mom, Sherry and Larry, like live in Margaritaville. I mean, this. Yeah, man, it, they, we, we're we're good friends with some parrotheads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I loved his line, which I say to you guys all the time: "Growing old is not for sissies." You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
It's very, very true. I'm, I'm learning it all too well as I as my body seems to fall apart. I, I just can't recover from going to the gym like I used to. I still feel mentally like I'm in my 30s, but physically I get reminded that it's not the case anymore. Yeah, well, listen, what's going on with Jamie Foxx? It's like sometimes I hear news and then sometimes no news. You know, we, we are watching the situation very closely. These people are very... Uh, close to the vest on this, and we're not withholding information. We learn things uh, about being in that rehab center, which sound hopeful, um, and other things which which sound concerning. That he's just the, the fact that he's still there and being visited by family and friends. It's, it's hard to know what goes on behind those walls exactly. There are reports that he's been playing pickleball, but the facility is also known for some adaptive type sports. So it's not like the same uh it might not be the same type of pickleball you're used to seeing and (laughs) hopefully it's um he's recovering i don't know what type of uh what type of person jamie fox will look like when he emerges from all this and that's got people very very concerned given how dynamic he is yeah exactly well we just uh, keep him in our prayers i thank you for that celebrity news next time um you and i have a conversation it'll be face to face That sounds good. We look forward to seeing Bubby back on the West Coast. All right. Thanks, kid. All right. That does it for me today. I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here on Monday at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. And then I will be broadcasting live from Los Angeles on uh, Thursday and Friday. So love you. Stay right where you are. God bless you. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.